Everyone knows you should never take a physicist to a sci-fi movie. The same can be said about a biologist and a creature feature. We can point out how certain things are biologically unlikely or downright impossible, but that would be boring. So rather than pointing out what can't happen, why not ask ourselves, what if it was real? So using my super nerd levels of knowledge about biology, physics, and mythical creatures, my friends and I will explore how different creatures could have actually evolved on our planet and what they potentially would look like. Welcome back, everybody. And this is a real creature feature. My name is Mac. I'm Mike. I'm Dean. That was that's an interesting one. Yeah. And today we'll be talking about dwarves. Now, unlike other episodes, I'm not going to really be asking you guys about what do you know about dwarves? Because they're in a lot of different fantasies uh, and a lot of different stories. But I like the dwarf sississes. Well, yeah, no, but I'm just saying I'm not going to but I'm not going to have you describe them. Oh. In the in your own words, but because there have been some controversies about these particular mythical creatures, and I want to get like talk about that ahead of time. So I sent uh, both Dean and Michael some clips from uh, one was from on the wiki page, just talking about um, race in Lord of the Rings, and then uh, an IndieWire article I sent to um, Dean. So I'll have you guys read over some of what I sent you. Okay. Well, in that case, from the from the Wikipedia article about race in Lord of the Rings, Tolkien stated that he thought of his dwarfs as reminiscent of the Jews, and that the dwarves' words were constructed to be Semitic. This raises the question, examined by Rebecca Brackman in Mythlore, of whether there was an element of anti-Semitism however deeply buried, in Tolkien's account of the dwarves. Inherited from English attitudes at the time, Brackman noted that Tolkien attempted to work through the issues in his Middle-earth writings. Something seems missing now. Oh, yeah, no, it, they, these are random clips. Okay. This isn't a co coherent thing. I probably should. Okay, that's, that, that might be part of the problem, because I was expecting, because I thought I had seen something about Demetria Femi yeah, being is. in there. Another to another. Oh, it, it is in the full thing, yes. Yeah. But I, I just I did clips of random parts. Yeah, because I'd seen something that was... Yeah, there it is. Yeah, because there was another Tolkien scholar who was brought up. Uh, so this next part comes from Demetra Femi. Femi writes that Tolkien agonized over the origins of orcs. If they were corrupted elves or men, that would fit that Morgoth could corrupt but not create. But elves and men had free will and if they did evil, could perhaps be redeemed. She writes that the earlier author, George MacDonald, had created a race of evil goblins, something that she finds an equally uncomfortable product of the 19th century anxieties about race and evolutionary degeneration. She notes, however, that a novel is written within tradition. Tolkien's orcs fit the tradition of MacDonald's goblins and ultimately of the monsters in Beowulf. She concludes... I believe Tolkien's racial prejudices are implicit in Middle-earth, but his values, friendship, fellowship, altruism, courage, among many others, are explicit, which make for a complex, more interesting world. And that complexities of this kind get people of each generation to read The Lord of the Rings and interpret it afresh. Ah. The Tolkien scholar Demetri Ephemi describes his... Uh, describes his mentions of swarthy complexions and slanted eyes as straight out of Victorian anthropology, which links mental qualities and physique. A variety of critics and commenters have noted that orcs are somewhat like caricatures of non-Europeans. Andrew O'Hare described orcs as a subhuman race bred by Morgoth and Sauron, although not created by them that is morally irredeemable and deserves only death. They are dark-skinned and slanted eyes, and although they possess reason, speech, social organization, and, as Shippy mentioned, a sort of moral sensibility, they are inherently evil. He notes Tolkien's descriptions of them, saying it could scarcely be more revealing as a representation of the others. 
but that it is a product of his background and era. Like most of our inescapable prejudices, at the level of conscious intention, he was not a racist or an anti-Semite, and mentions his letters to this effect. In a letter to his son Christopher, who was serving in the RAF in the Second World War, Tolkien wrote of orcs as appearing on both sides of the conflict. I cannot seem to get this one to work. Uh, yes, I think the orcs as a real creation of anything in realistic fiction. Only in real life, they are on both sides, of course. For romance has grown out of allegory, and its war are still derived from the inner way, inner war of allegory in which good is on one side and variation, various uh, modes of badness on the other. In real, brackets, exterior, uh, life, me, uh, life, men are on both sides, which means mot mortality, alliances of orcs, beasts, demons, plain nature, honest men, and angels. It would be Motley Alliance of Orcs. Motley, yes, Motley. Ah, so, okay. Well, so yes, I think Orcs is real. I may have to try and redo that, but I don't think so. You did well, Mac. Scholars such as Femi note that Tolkien was in some way clearly anti-racist, as he actively opposed racialist theories, refused to declare that he had an Aryan origin so as to be published in Nazi Germany, spoke out against Nazism, called Hitler a ruddy little ignoramus, and opposed anti-German propaganda in wartime. Opposition to peacetime Nazi racial theory. In 1938, the publishers of the German translation of The Hobbit, Rutten and Loring of Potsdam, wrote, that, wrote to Tolkien asking if he was of pure Arik, Aryan descent. He asked his English publisher, Stanley Unwin, if he should suffer this impertinence because of the profession of the German name, or do their lunatic laws require a certificate of Erich origin for all persons of all countries? He drafted two letters to Rutten and Loring. Only one survives, and his biographer, Humphrey Carpenter, presumes that Unwin sent the other to Rutten and Loring. The surviving draft says, I regret that I am not clear as to what you intend by Erich. I do not... I am not of Aryan extraction, that is Indo-Iranian. But if I am to understand that you are inquiring whether I am of Jewish origin, I can only reply that I regret that I appear to have no ancestors of that gifted people. Yeah, it turns out uh, people are complicated and you can't just paint them with a single brush. I, I have always, I'm of the opinion, like, it's, by default, pretty much everybody is racist like to certain degrees like the different version of racism changes over the years because i'm like there is a difference between being like the like capital r racist and little r racist or black like i mean dark like like emboldened racism too as compared to like a faint written out racism if you say it like that like how you'd write a letter because i was like I don't want to say black racism because that does that sounds bad. Well, I mean, everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Yeah, Avenue Q. Uh, but and that's the thing about it. It's this dude was probably is racist by our standards, but he probably was actually considered woke, uh, quote unquote, woke by the standards of that day. What a hippie. Oh. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, it's it's complicated, but these discussions still need to be had you can't just say he's not racist because he's from a different time no you can still talk about how they are racist and to, to establish that thing in time because like there's a difference between like holding people from the past to our standards and you know talking about our standards yeah anyway so yeah i'm done looking through my book yeah dwarves yeah, so, so more dwarves. Uh, so then, yeah, I found this article by IndieWire on IndieWire where they. So, like I said, Peter. Oh, I guess I didn't say it yet. Uh, Peter Dinklage made comments about um, the upcoming Snow White remake, live action remake, and you know, rather than it wasn't just about like you know why are they making all these re remakes? Period of in live action, um, but also 
his was like, why are they still telling the story over and over and over? Because in 2012, I think there were like three different makes or two, at least two. One was by Universal and that was like the Huntsman, uh, the Ice Queen and the Huntsman or something like that. I don't know. The one with uh, Kate, um, Kristen Stewart. Yeah, that would be Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah. And so those were like, I think, CG or at least miniaturized humans mm-hmm. to look like dwarves. Um, and then uh, more recently, um, a right wing influencer and uh, Ben Shapiro's network, they're going to be making a more realist, more accurate to the Grim Fairy Tale version. Oh, I guess. Whatever. I, I can't wait to review that and lord it over him that he doesn't even freaking know what the original Grimm's fairy tale is like. I read the original, or at least I can't say I read the original because I would have to read it in German, uh, but like the more recent version of it. And when you say original, the Grimm's brothers have five different editions in their lifetime that they wrote of collections of fairy tales. Yeah. Where they themselves edited different stories. So. Well, yeah. The IndieWire ep- uh, article, I'll have Dean read it unless he doesn't want to. Nope. It, start, uh, it starts with. Yeah. It's appropriate. Yep. Okay. Before we, before you start going into your thing, the article itself is Peter Dinklage said the seven dwarves are an insult, but the reality is more complex from yep. IndieWire. The actress that they're speaking with is Tara Jolet. Okay. So just so that we are very clear on who is speaking on. Yes, so. that's a good idea. It's appropriate that Peter spoke his truth about how he feels, but I don't feel that it's appropriate that he is including the entire dwarfism community, Reedy said. IndieWire reached out to multiple members of the LP acting community for this article. Joel? Yeah, I think that's it. I know, I think it's Jolet. Jolet? Yeah. Yeah. Jolet puts down their reluctance to comment down to fear of reprisal. The anonymous actor said no one wants to risk irritating a studio that controls 52% of the media especially one that regularly hires little people for Star Wars films and shows. An upcoming Disney Plus series even has an LP in a starring role with Warwick Davis as Farmer Willow Oofgood in Willow. Yeah, One second. I, I just want to point out this article was from 2022. The Unnamed actor said it's not necessarily that people from the disabled and LP communities don't want to talk, but they're more interested in doing work to upend the stereotype. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, because it's in production and by the biggest studio in the world that many people would like to work for, has actors walking a bit of a fine line, added Joel. And the cancel culture is so huge right now that everyone is so scared to speak the truth because they don't want it to affect their job. Other recent casting of LPs in film and television include Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley and OWN's series The Kings of Napa. However, Joel said there's a severe downturn in roles being offered to LP actors under the guise of subverting stereotypes. Five years ago, there were constant commercial auditions, she said, because of equality and voice voices stating that they weren't okay with things like elf roles or dwarf roles or leprechaun roles. They've been eliminated. And not only are you not seeing a lot of little people in acting industry anymore, but you're not seeing productions being created to give little people an acting role either. Some members of the LP community accept the more stereotypical acting opportunities. Others, like Reedy, believe roles like these perpetuates a system that prefers to cast LPs as leprechauns and elves. 
According to Little People of America, about 30,000 people in the United States have some form of dwarfism. The number grows to 651,700 worldwide. Odds are many people don't inter interact with LPs in their lives, and that leaves on-camera portrayals to foster awareness about dwarfism. Did I keep on saying Joel instead yes. of Joelle? Yeah, but it, you don't you didn't know it. Yeah, and it's and I I was trying to uh, I, I I didn't want to correct you while you were in your stride. But yeah, so that's the thing about this that makes it so complicated in this context because it's like, hey, yeah, these are stereotypes, so we don't want to use stereotypes, but you're not giving them other work, and yeah. that sucks too. It goes to like um. You know, to not use the to uh, purposely not using the right word, but it was the right word then. Freak shows back in the day, like that was the only jobs a lot of these people could get. Mm -hmm. So, right, so you took so they became you know bad and like people don't want didn't want to support them anymore because there were a lot of very bad ones out there where they were being taken advantage of, and but there were also ones that um, they were actually in charge of, and it was but. So because of that, a lot of these people lost their jobs. There were systematic issues. Once again, oh, yeah. this leads to like people have to understand there's systematic issues baked into certain aspects of different businesses, of different governments. It's systematic and it's partly ingrained in how it is constructed. Um, you, you know, America is the land of the free, but there was, but we were, we started with slavery. It's part of it. And then people were scared of losing their power. And that's part of the, that's another issue. There's multiple issues, but you have systemic issues that are boosted by fear of power and those and so when you had the freak shows who has the power the guy that's putting you out there and then he can decide what he could be a very gracious person and, or he could be a real sleazeball and marry a hairy woman get her pregnant make her go out on stage she ends up dying because of giving birth to a baby. He taxiderms her body and still parades her around and then rents her body out to places and then ends up selling her corpse to somewhere. And she is stuffed and taxidermied and just sitting in an attic somewhere by the time they found finally find her what incident are you referring to with that one she was a mexico native indigenous woman from mexico julia pastrana ah cool. where she she had that condition where um she has a she grows a lot of hair um the werewolf condition and whatnot she got married to a gentleman, Theodore Lent, who was a freak show owner and was her manager. And she died in childbirth to their one child at the age of 25. Woof. And she ended up getting taxidermied and was rented out to places and then was lost and then finally found. Is dark. Wow. We're all terrible people. So, and people with power want to keep that power. And also other people with power might think they're being generous or that there isn't an issue with their actions. But you are the one that is powerful over another person. So that person might not actually have the full feeling like they can say no. Yeah. Yeah and do things to protect themselves. Yeah. Basically, what we just established is 
this is a really big topic that we are not going to solve by us ourselves. Right. Uh, no, I demand what? we solve it right now. We We're have three an white hour. Guys. We have Our an same... hour left. We as three white cis males, heterosexual even, can solve this right now, right three here. White guys with a podcast. Yeah, I mean, look, with 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 tens of listeners. So with that... oh wait that the counter's dropping oh no oh no we've made a mistake i don't even know how we're getting live i don't know how we're getting live drop of anything we have yeah. with no with negative tens of listeners now how are they taking back downloads from the past so i this is one of those things where it's like after reading all this stuff i'm like i don't know how to like i had i had a plan for like how i was going to establish this but I'm like, I don't know if it would, would be right to do it the way I am, but I'm I'm gonna explain how I, what I'm gonna be doing anyway. Cause I'm like, it's so unlike a lot of other times, I already had a drawing for this concept. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah. And so it was like my basic idea was gonna go about it with like uh make sure you make it look not really well like humanoid, but distinctly not 100% human to make it that it is established as uh, a different species. So I had a couple different mac mechanisms to do that. Um, so here's the thing. Let's go with this one. What is a dwarf in myth, like mythical context? Well, I mean, I, there's no real, like, I don't know what a dwarf is in mythical context. I only understand it from, Again, the Tolkien aspect of it and the and the Discworld aspect, which is in some ways a little bit nicer in that regard, but they're not just humanoid, but in the Discworld, they can actually interbreed with humans if they wanted to. In D&D, they could too. They're used to yeah. be like half dwarves, but it looks like they don't really have that as a class any, or like as a no. race anymore like they used to, but that no. also doesn't mean that they can't still. Yeah, not as a vanilla thing. The only vanilla thing that's a half breed is a half orc. Yeah, and half elves. Oh, that's true. Sorry, thank you. But yeah, uh, so it's also really confusing in mythology what dwarves are. Have you ever heard of the term Spatavar or dark elves? Um, yes, I have, but not like again, only in again like context like Skyrim and. Like, in Skyrim and um, the World of Warcraft. Yeah. So, the Svartavar, also known as Black Elves, uh, Swarthy Elves. Hey, Swarthy again. Ah. Uh, Sings forever. Also called, uh, I'm yeah, not pronouncing that one, uh, Dark Elves, Dusky Elves, Murky Elves, um, are beings who dwell in Svartavheim, uh, home of the Black Eyes. Both Svartavheim Hey, stop that. This, uh, before you keep, since you uh, since I yell at something, yeah. does this come from like Norse then? Or? Yeah, this is Norse stuff. Okay, it sounded very Norse. Yeah. Uh, both Svartavar and Svartavheim are primarily attested in the Prose Etta, which was written in the 13th century by Snorri uh, Storrson. Scholars noted that Svartavar appeared in uh, synonymous with the dwarves. And potentially are, or, or potentially also the Dakafar, Dark Elves. As dwarves, the homes of Svatavar could possibly be another description of Nidvelir, the Dark Field. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, wait, maybe there aren't Dark, well, they're Dark Elves, but the Dark Elves are dwarves. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so um, th the first time I really, I think I can remember hearing about this was in the Neil Gaiman book about Norse mythology, where he kind of like talked about that. Now, the problem is, uh, which we'll actually get to later, but I, I will, I want to talk about it. So one of the things was, uh, so in Norse mythology, there are the nine realms. These realms are Asgard, um, where the Aesir live, the gods like Odin and Thor. Um, Jotunheim, which is the land of the Jotun, the giants. Mm -hmm. Midgard, which is the land of humans, Elfheim, which is the home of the elves, Hell, where the resting place for the not honored dead, um, Vanaheim is where the Vanir deities live, 
Nidavellir, which is the subterranean realm where the dwarves live, Niflheim, which is the land of fire and ice, and Muspelheim, which is the land of heat. No, no. Uh, Nif- Niflheim is the land of uh, ice and snow. Muspelheim is the land of heat and flame. My bad. But notice how there's no Svartovar or Svartoheim in that. So it was just like, well, if they're from here, but they're not that, then wait, where are they from? And it looks like it might be actually just part of Nidavellir, the dwarf land. Oh. And, yeah. So then I, I looked at, like, in this particular article, I looked up and they had, like, Elfheim, home of the elves, was a land of luminous uh, light elves or light elves. A lot of these words are. And the jet, jet black dark elves. So maybe they also live there. Niflheim, land of new moon, perhaps dark fields, was a subterranean realm, you know, always under the ground, and also can be considered the dark elf, where the dark elves are. And then I found another article, and uh, basically they were just like talking about the different connections of where these things could be and everything else. And then they had kind of a critique on uh, Snorri Yodlerson, Snorri Strodelson. If I'm pronouncing it, I'm sorry, but yeah, these are confusing words from my mouth uh the six the 13th century library mastermind responsible for more surviving viking lore than anyone like so yeah like we, we've said before like there was no nothing really written down by the norse or the vikings most of it like most of these stories that we know are only because of this one dude saving the, these stories that were passed down to him uh yeah snorri yoderson uh, Sto- snorri strotterson I'm going to copy-paste this and say it right. I know which one you're talking about because I'm looking up the same article. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen. I don't know how to... I'd have to look, at, I'd have to yeah. look that one up. Snorri calls elves the light elves while explicitly using dwarves, uh, black elves, or dark elves for dwarves interchangeably. So, like, it kind of is interesting that there is, like, a different levels or different... Like, he uses different word, interchangeable words. However, okay. Snorri is the only source that sets up this dichotomy or uses of these terms in this way. So is yeah. he right? Snorri has a history of trying to reconcile his uh, pre-13th century pagan world of his ancestors with his own early 13th century Christian world. So he sometimes must be taken with a grain of salt. Some experts see Snorri's light elves versus dark elves, sort uh, angels versus demon forced dichotomy. However, it's uncertain from the text. Dwarves are never portrayed as simply evil, nor are elves portrayed as always good. So while the mis- this misinterpretation is possible, it also may also be that Snorri Odinson is blending diverse beliefs about elves and dwarves from a wide variety of lore that survived to his time. So once again, it's complicated. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it sounds very simple to me. It sounds like somebody just made it up and these are fake creatures. Huzzah. We've done it again. End podcast. Good night, folks. Uh, I actually was just about to say that. Yeah, exactly. So in certain stories, uh, wait, hang on, hang on. We did it. Okay. So, how in certain stories, that's kind of how like how they talk about elves and dwarves is that they were kind of fae like, depending on like the the particular stories. Like elves and dwarves are like remnants of the fae on Earth, like they were left behind. So that they're they're magical, but they're not as magical as a pure creature from fae. How dare they not be so magical? Yeah. So yeah, th- that's kind of interesting. Like they're like a blending of the two worlds. And then I was also thinking about adapting it to like very similar to our Sasquatch um, episode. Like these were human. Like if we wanted to have a pure um, evolved on our planet idea was that these were um, early human hominids that Mm -hmm. decided to stay more in the caves. Yeah. Because like we established before, they can't just be cave dwellers. They can't yeah. just live deep in the dark because they're too big yeah. and there's no resources. So if we just establish that they're troglazines, then it's like, okay, that's we can have that. And then also, because I was just thinking about this while we have like the different names for them, they could have a different, like 
could have a caste system if you wanted that, where there are dark elves that are on the that like are part of the agriculture. Mm -hmm. Like they're the farmers, and then we have the miners, and then we have like all these other like different things. Yeah. But I kind of don't like that just because I don't like caste systems in general like that. Well, I mean, if you if you want to go with that, that's kind of interesting because Dragon Age has dwarves in the caste in a caste system. Yeah, in there. So there is like the there is like the higher ups who are genuinely just like no nobility and crafters and those. And then you have the middle class, you have the middle caste and then you have the low caste, which is. Yeah, I can see why you wouldn't want to do that. Cast systems suck. Yeah. But and then I was because when I was thinking about for building this, uh, I was like, oh, because I was wondering, I was like, now, if they had it that they were tethered to a um, because a lot of times with like a lot of these stories, dwarves are more advanced than humans. So I was wondering if we had if we had a like a species that was like more tied to a, a one particular area where they would have to send out scouts and scavengers to bring food to that area, yeah. would they have uh, developed agriculture earlier, or would it, or they've just died out? Well, I mean, in a lot of that sense, they, I mean, like humanity, they probably would have started off as hunter-gatherers, but yeah. it depends on how they want to be, and if we want to talk about the idea of predator v. prey, like it would be that thing of if they were going to set up something dwarves if they were going to stay as cave dwellers would probably want to keep their caves pretty secret yeah. setting up an agriculture around you is not going to be the way to do that cuz people people will see established agriculture but what if you but what if you can hide it in plain sight you know instead do instead do mixtures you know Kind of like doing controlled burns in forests, you know, same area, you know, just make sure that you have vegetation that can grow in low light, you know, that can grow in like low light areas still have to be outside, obviously, because you can't yeah. grow them in no lights. But it's, you know, a more of the idea of they would have to be very secretive about it. So yeah. obviously in advancing technology, it's not like they would create aqueduct systems, but they could use say an underground flow system almost yeah you know uh natural piping yeah and uh because yeah oh then establishing so i have like uh character design like this is my the last bit where it's like how they their overall appearance and like why they would look like this so it's like short stocky hairy poor eyesight poor eyesight good hearing good sense of smell important things like for in in a cave so it's like the short and stocky because you, you know, you don't, you can't be all that big in a cave because you don't have the room, mm -hmm. room to grow and like, you know, stocky and strong because you are expanding the cave and you're getting good at digging out areas and stuff yeah. like that. And then being hairy because if you're underground, it's colder. So you want to have that keeping in that heat mm -hmm. and then, yeah, poor eyesight because it's going to be dark. So you don't need good eyes. But you can have good sense of smell, good hearing, like a lot of subterranean creatures. And then you don't need, and if you do have that, they are developing agriculture or anything like that. It's not like they need to go out and hunt or go out and stuff. Yeah. And then you can still have that they are hunting, but more at night. Night hunters. Yeah. Well, they and, can definitely uh, do that. Yeah. And then uh, just because this is also something that, it, it, this is from, uh, wait, I don't know if it actually is from uh, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. But it was uh, I'm I'm mixing a I'm making a mixing a joke with it, um, but I was like, it's also interesting. A lot of uh, dwarf lore is there's a less sexual dimorphism between males and females. Yeah. So I was like, how do you tell the difference between a male Svaltavar and a female Svaltavar? Well, I'm gonna let you say the joke. The females have shorter beards. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. insensitive. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just want to have a nice trim beard. Yeah. Uh, but like they had that, like, uh, if you look at some of the extra stuff for the Hobbit, I found like they had the female, they showed some female dwarves and yeah, they had like chops, mutton chops instead of a full beard, which I'm fine with that. I, I like that idea of 
not everything having to sit our particular aesthetic of yeah well and i think they uh, i think that they in a lot of cultures especially because that is a reference that they do make in lord of the rings is that the men and women look so similar that they just always assume that there were no females in the dwarf species yeah um in the book series the magicians um mm -hmm. that they made the sci-fi show off of uh they also talked about that too yeah they're like they they produce asexually it's like nope yeah you just can't tell the difference because yeah well and that's and that in a lot of ways is a for at least in the disc world that's a cultural thing for dwarves yeah because for dwarves that's less important than other aspects of their lives and so for them they could make that change and in like dwarves who leave the mountain because the dwarves originally came originated from basically one central location around um, the Stowe Plains um, in the mountains. But dwarves who left, dwarves who left the mountain to go, say, live in the city, you know, start to express themselves slightly differently. So some of them may choose instead, may choose instead of wearing the traditional dwarven full leather breeches may choose to wear say a leather skirt but they're not going to stop being dwarves they're still going to carry around their they still might wear their helmets and wear their battle axes because that's what you do when you're a dwarf and don't you know you, you don't stop being you don't stop being that way and of course you're never going to shave that beard why would you do that that's oh. crazy there's a particular webcomic that i like and they talk about uh, some dwarf um society stuff What's it called? Oh, Weekly Roll. Weekly Roll. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. So the, one of the characters is a dwarf, and uh, he's like he's a dwarven necromancer, and he's in just full armor. Nice. And so they go and meet, and like go meet his family and all this other stuff, and uh, it is just really interesting because like the only reason why they go is because he's getting arrested for tax evasion. Uh, he was like, I would rather die than pay my taxes, and it's a nice. no, and it's a noble death for a dwarf, of course. Uh, but like all of the dwarves are in full armor underground, and they're like, Why are you? You're in your homes. Why are you in full armor? And it, they're like, Well, because of the goblins. And then they go up to like the top of the the cavern, and you see these goblins, and they're like, they start just randomly pelt you with rocks. Yeah, funny. So it's like it's for protection. So rather than getting rid of the, the goblins, they are like, well, I guess we're just going to put armor on. Yeah, fair enough. That How works. tall is one meter? Uh, roughly three feet. Yeah, a little over. I was I was like, there's a couple uh, people that I watch on YouTube, like Guts of Gimmick, Gibbon, and other people who are in the science education field. Mm -hmm. And... I saw a video pop up on my feed. I never clicked on it, but it had something to do about ancient human uh, species that were small and would be eaten by dinosaurs. Something to that in the yeah. title. But the Homo Florensis. Yep. The Hobbits. Yep. They're, they're only they're three feet tall. Pretty sure they're the ones yeah. that, because we talked about. Yeah, them. yeah, and Leonard Nimoy had a whole song about them. Yeah, Helmut yeah. Florensis. Yeah, and yeah, that's also the thing too uh, with uh, dwarves because they never. It's always weird when they establish how tall something is, and like, but they also don't establish like actually how tall something is because mm -hmm. like you're just told, oh yeah, they're short or something for different stories, but they don't really say how how big that is. Yeah, well, and I think it's. And that's, I think, part of the idea of because I think it's that thing of, well, how else are they going to do it? What if they want to make the movie? What are they going to do then? Huh? It's going to tell me that this guy's got to be three feet tall and this guy's got to be five, eight. Yeah. You're really limiting yourself there. Florenciensis. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Peter Jackson forced perspective this shit? I don't think so. But yeah, it's. I'm like it. There are so many workarounds that they can that you can do to make these creatures work and make sense in a yeah. story. And uh, someone, uh, there's a guy. I think it was like uh, Dwarven Dad on Insta YouTube, 
and like mm-hmm. he would do like different like ratings of people's like uh blacksmithing oh and they, they were talking he was look watching a behind the scenes thing with um, the lord uh, no the dungeons dragons movie and i didn't i didn't really pay attention all that close but i don't think there were any dwarves don't think so um and you know that's kind of sad because you know yeah but they're a big speed race in uh it, but then you have it well do you not want to have the portrayal by sh- little people where then you know you're just feeding into that stereotype but then once yeah. again where are the little people in the back being used as actors they they had gnomes oh yeah yeah digitally changed gnomes yeah that's the that's the only smallish creatures oh. that i could think of or halflings they they're, they're the halfling because brad cooper was a halfling in there i think that's what oh they that's what i meant by no yeah yo you're trying you're thinking of a halfling yeah because yeah because yeah, holga because yeah holga was definitely into halflings yeah it goes um gnome halfling dwarf fry yeah. then human then elves yeah well, that's not fair because they have the ear advantage well they also have the length advantage. they are generous without even yeah. ears they're 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 stocky and and then uh orcs are taller yeah yeah but yeah i that makes sense because in every sort of tradition dwarves aren't necessarily they're not just humanoid but are very much human looking in almost every tradition in um star wars terms the 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 word near human yeah applied yeah they would be They'd be as near human as it gets. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting way because um, at least in the going back to Discworld, because that's where my obsession's been for the last, you know, year, basically uh, in the book Thud, they like there's always little bits that you learn, especially because dwarf culture is really unknown at the start, but it starts to slowly build. They have some very interesting tactics because in their in their own what dwarves have for religion, they have a god called Tak. And Tak was the creator of the three major races of the disc, dwarves, trolls, and humans, and formed them all three out of a geode. And basically it's this thing of the three spe- those three species essentially came from the same place and are as close to each other as you can be without being, you know, the same species. Yeah. And it's got some, and they have some very interesting traits, like for dwarves. But you know, there's nothing like, whereas the trolls are silicon based. In, you know, dwarves aren't made of dirt. You know, it's not like they came from out of the ground. They are as human as you know. They are as near human as human gets. Because um, trolls were the eggshell of the geode. Yep. Oh. Yep. So. That's their built-in reason why they're better than trolls. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all very it's very interesting because there has been animosity between dwarves and trolls forever, but it came to a head in an event called the Battle of Coombe Valley, where the dwarves and trolls tried to ambush each other and were very successful on both sides. And there wasn't just one Battle of Coombe Valley either. Yeah. One generation did it. The next generation did it. Yep. That's why if you get the Coon Valley memorial stamps, the stamps are designed where you've got one where the dwarves are doing the survive uh, surprise attack. And then the other one has the trolls doing the surprise attack. Yeah. Same illustration, just slightly different. It's very funny because and it's it's very interesting to see because dwarves also have their own traditions in the disc where um, besides having very elaborate like courtship rituals to try and figure out what the gender of the other dwarf is. Because that's against the rule, uh, not against the rules, but there's stigma against people who present themselves as female dwarves. Yeah. You can be you can be whatever gender you want to be in the dwarf society as long as you present as male, because even in dwarven society, while they have a gen while they have a single gender term in the dwarf language, 
when translated, it always ends up being he. So yeah, that's just what the that's just what dwarves do. Cherry Little Bottom goes around town in a leather skirt. Yeah, yeah, and, and they that have causes big, big controversy in the dwarf community, even amongst city dwarves. That's that's a no go for a lot. One of, of the cool deep dives of dwarves comes in the fifth element. Yep. Oh yeah. Which one is that about? Is it about the low king? Yep, that's yeah. the low king. Well, they have their and they have their own belief structures. But the one that I always liked was in the truth, because the whole reason why the dwarves started the newspaper with the movable print press is because they were trying to make money. In dwarf tradition, the courtship ritual ends with when the dwarves want to get married, the the uh, the betrothed has to pay off the debts owed to the parents for their for that child basically making them debt free in their own society which is why again it's very cultural they don't have to do this it's not like it's some requirement but dwarves stand high on tradition yeah which is about the only way they stand high hey that's that's also very interesting like if you have it like you know it is part of their culture to be let's go with like transphobic or anything like that yeah it's like it doesn't mean like let's say uh terry pratchard was no but definitely like, not and then like how he's doing it is establishing like hey this is fucked up and but yeah giving it a, a, an example of bad to show people to show people well it. it's it's when you get to really it, it it's heavily implied very much that the low king of the dwarves reese reeson is actually female uh i i keep on forgetting i got the the Discworld Ultimate Companion. Yeah. Yeah. The new low king of the Uberwald Dwarves. He is a dwarf with vision, an astute politician and new thinker, although he doesn't like Ankmore Pork very much. Who does? Not even the people that live there. But they yeah. have a right to not like that city. Yeah. He visited this city when he was much younger, and he is considered to be pretty clever. People have described him, though not to his face, as a fairy tale dwarf with a hog father beard. <laughs> he he is short, even by dwarf standards, and he wears leather and home forged chain mail. He looks quite old, as dwarves do, and speaks with the musical cadences of those from Lamidas. He uh, comes from a little coal mining clan near there. Events in Raising Steam resulted in her changing her name to Bloodwen and her title to Low Queen of the Dwarves. Ah, uh, yep. So, okay. Yeah, so, yes. Very good, Dean. Good reading. Good reading. Yay. It is one of those things where so much of, like, it, at least what I like about pratchett's interpretation of dwarves is a lot of it is very cultural it's for them it's this uh concept that they have these traditions that have existed well for millennia because you know in in their in his tradition dwarves are long lived they live three centuries yeah and they have carrot who's an adopted dwarf and he is a dwarf even though he's six feet tall sort of shaped like a carrot and has red hair yeah but he, and he's also very much human, but he's human in the standard of he is of the race humans, but he's gone through all of the traditional things that a dwarf would have to go through to be considered an, a dwarf, a, an adult dwarf in their society. So he is as much a dwarf as any other dwarf. Very progressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the, but that's again, so much of what in there's what it is about the dwarven society is. It's less about who you are and that you do what they what is dwarfish. Yeah. So if you're a if you're a dwarf, you do the dwarf thing. If you're not, you just don't do the dwarf thing. Yeah. Uh, I hate to I got an argument with a person where uh, a particular it was talking about a, a lady who uh, was assassinated. And the in the article and the lady who was talking about it was like, oh, she was a Palestinian American. And there was someone who was like, she's not even American. It's just like, yeah, she was Palestinian American. She had a palace. She became an American citizen. 
And yeah. then he was like, you don't know, you don't seem to understand how it works. And I was just like, you don't seem to understand how it works. I was like, I, I, I was like, are you not American or are you just a super racist person who doesn't understand it, how it works? Cause I was like, we're one of the few countries that if you become an American citizen, we consider you an American. Yeah. If you become a citizen of a different country, a lot of, depending on the country, a lot of times you are just, you are a citizen, but you aren't considered whatever the country is. Yeah. Like, uh, you are no, like if you're, if, Irish, for example, if you go to Ireland and tell people, oh, I'm Irish, they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. You, you're of Irish ancestry, but you're not Irish. And, uh, uh, well, it was one of my, prof I think I've already, but one of my professors uh, in college, he talked about his wife who was from Ireland. And when she went back, they're like, yeah, you're no, you're not an Irish citizen and you're an American. Ah, yep. Sounds like, about oh. right. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's, that's messed up. That's, that's not cool. I wonder if that has anything, you know, as a cultural holdover from the potato famine where you had the American wake where uh, the the Irish families would hold a farewell cere uh, ceremony with their children or whoever family member was going to go to America and they basically said goodbye as if the person was dead because they were probably never going to see each other again. Yeah, because back then, yeah, it's hard to travel back home. Basically a one-way ticket. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, but, so yeah, that was my idea with dwarves. It's keep, keep it simple. Keep it simple, yeah. You don't need to make it. Don't make them into dirt beasts, basically. Yeah, yeah you don't have to make it into a a dwarf is actually like basically a troll where it's like all these knobbly, like excessive things. Yeah. To which I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard of a dwarf looking like that. Dwarf looking like what? Uh, more troll like. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, but I have heard of a short troll, but I mean, it's, it wouldn't make it again. Like, like you said about the Sasquatch and some of these other ones, just because they they could have existed, they could have been a genuine creature that does exist in our world. Yeah. We just don't know it. They could now be city dwarves living among us. Yeah. You know, because there's plenty of evidence of other, of other creatures that could easily exist amongst us and yeah. just not be. And yeah, since we have, you can have it that societally they were more money driven or something like that or mm -hmm. or um uh what's the word? materialistic yeah it doesn't mean that they're naturally materialistic you can yeah it's like oh yeah I'm a, I'm a city dwarf i don't really care about mining i don't know how to mine yeah well that's actually funny that they talk about that because uh, in again in disc world everyone has these weird assumptions about dwarfs that all they do is you know quaff and care about gold they care about gold for their own re for their own cultural reasons, but in the mines, they don't drink. They're tea they're teetotalers in the mines because no one bring you know they don't bring drink into the mine and no one offers it in the mine, makes it or brews it there. Well, they their to top their billboard top ten is number gold. one is gold, number yeah. two gold, yeah, number three gold gold, yeah, number four silver, number five. Gold, 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 gold. Yeah. And that classic, that classic one from Uberwald, gold. Yes. But yeah, so, but because when city, when dwarves come to the cities, though, they're like, I think I'll try this beer thing. They seem to grow a taste to it. Like, you know, the college kid getting out from under their strict parents rule, you know, yeah. they tend to go whole hog on it then. Uh, yeah, that's actually yeah, that's actually kind of cool. Where it's like, no, they're not always like this. They're just like this when they oh, it's um Ramspringer. Yep, it's yeah, Dorvin Ramspringer. Basically, I believe he used that as part of the yes, I cannot remember background of a couple stories. Yes, but yeah, uh, so yeah, that was my concept concept for dwarves, and I do actually have another one for next week. Or next time. Oh, really? Uh, are, you, are you keeping us? Are you keeping a surprise? Or are you going to give us a clue? Or are you just going to? I'm just going to say it. Okay. Um, so 
this actually kind of helped. This is like one of the first creatures where I was like, where it inspired the idea of this. Oh. And it was my little drawing of a gnome. Oh. So and doing... so my concept of the gnome. Okay. Let's do tiny gnomes or big gnomes. Who cares? They can be any size now. So get hyped. It's not. I can't time. wait to tell you the, the, how, how gnomes become gnomes according to canon oh. and what okay. happens to them after actually, 200 years. I'm actually kind of excited. He's talking about David the gnome. Oh, yeah. That was like 300 years ago or 500. Two, it's. No, maybe it is 500. He's, it's either well, 200 or 500. Dean, do some research and get on that for next time. I will. A Real Creature Feature is created by Matt Kuklinski, starring Matt Kuklinski, Michael Seaman, and Dean Snow. Any questions, comments, artwork, or general inquiries can be sent to realcreaturefeature at gmail.com. You can view any submitted fan art and pictures on our Instagram at a real creature feature. Some episodes were recorded weeks in advance due to our current sporadic recording schedule. Any comments left will be seen and addressed at some point, and you will be credited unless you tell us you wish to remain anonymous. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on the podcast app that works best for you. It really helps us out. Also, tell your friends, enemies, and total strangers about the podcast. They might enjoy it too, and that can bring us all closer together. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the thing that a lot of people on the right seem to have a confusion when they're like, oh, they're canceling X writer. It's like, are they? Well, I mean, obviously they're canceling people. I mean, look, they stopped printing. They stopped printing all those Dr. Seuss books because he was a terrible racist. Oh, wait. No, that's not how it worked. That was the Dr. Seuss organization being like, we're going to pull these and these are not our most popular books. Anywho, yeah. they already had done changes. Like you have the first edition of the Lorax. It references Lake Erie. And yeah. then they changed it. They changed that specific line after there was the major um, cleanup. cleanup of Lake Erie. And there's other stuff that they've also edited, like I think McGilligan's Pool yeah. had Eskimo fish, and they slightly changed the fish so that they're not such a racist uh, caricature of Eskimos or Inuits. Yeah, because Eskimos—that's a—that's a—that's like a very bad word, and. Like when you actually learn about where it came from, it's very derogatory and it's just like, oh, oh, yeah. oh. so this has been my opinion. And this has been my opinion for a very long time about like art and stuff like that. It's so my my dad and I, we love Looney Tunes. Like mm-hmm. I was raised on him. Like he had um, he has a huge collection with like we have probably most of them. On. Um, but there was for the World War Two ones before you could watch any of them. There was this thing with Whoopi Goldberg. Where she talks, she's like, "Hey, some of these things are racist." Like I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She didn't actually say that. Are you sure she didn't say racist as hell? Because I would have liked to believe that she would. That was uh, who did it for Disney. Uh, yeah, Disney did that too with a lot of the Muppet stuff, and yeah. I saw people going up. Oh, uh, but Dis- let me finish. Just let me finish. Okay. Finish but with uh, Looney Tunes, they're like, some of these things are bad. Now we're not going to edit them because that's not true to what these were but we are i'm bringing this to you so that you can discuss them with your kids when you're watching this because these are things that you need to dis talk about you can't just put it off into a corner and say well it didn't happen because it did yeah okay sorry dean so disney when they released their disney treasures dvd collections so like all of donald duck cartoons on dvd all and they came in metal tins. Yeah, who's the guy that was in Goose, uh, um, Gremlins 2? He's um, a famous movie critic. Chris and oh, 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 that was uh, um, Leonard Mar- Leonard Malton, Leonard uh, Martin, Martin, Leonard Malton, Leonard Malton. Yeah. He did those openings for different cartoons like there's 
uh, there would be um there was ants there were a whole bunch of ants in a cartoon whether it was for pluto or whatnot and they're stealing from a picnic and a bunch of them are illustrated as if they were tribal african people so rings up their necks and that Mm. stuff and all these other cartoons but he would say these specific things are not appropriate but they weren't appropriate they shouldn't have been appropriate then they're not appropriate now but take that in mind when you're watching these cartoons so Disney also did that with their cartoons. And then you have Tom and Jerry, where some of the times Tom and Jerry were in a southern house and they they had a black maid in a oh, bunch yeah. of those cartoons. Oh, I remember those. Oh, but yeah, it's, you know, and as much as you try to escape some of that stuff, it's still... Sometimes it goes around without you even really realizing it or thinking about it. And then there's the whole discussion about um, Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn. Oh, yeah. And it's like, do you edit the word? Because, Uh yeah, he fought in the Confederacy, but he dropped out after a couple weeks. Yeah. And that stuff. And then you know, his actions afterwards were abolitionist in vain. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of that is, I I think you also just, it's not about, and I think with so many of those, it's about putting it, like you said, Mac, into the proper context. And that's where I think too many people are like, well, we shouldn't have it at all. And sometimes you should have it just so that you have it, but have it in the proper context, you know, like the, this don't is not going to make show it and be like, yeah. oh, this is just fine. Yeah, it was fine back then. Yeah, it's one of uh, people were talking about Song of the South and they're like, I grew, I grew up in, on that and I'm just fine. It's not about you. Yeah, it's like, OK, cool. But you had also some of the context in with everything else. Yeah. And that's always been a thing, but. To be honest, it's like the animated portions maybe cut those into their own thing. Yeah. I mean, if if you're because that's one of the things that uh, because Disney did the Leonard Malton things with the animated movies, I was like, well, why don't you have him do a opening for Song of the South? Yeah. But if you ever watch Song of the South, it's not really the <laughs> it's not really the best movie. You're it's... you'd be watching it just to see Uncle Remus sing Zippity Doodah, yep. and you're watching it for the animation. Yep. Um, or at least that's where I come from. It. I'm just watching it for the animation. And hell, I would. I'm just. Why do that if you're gonna do something bootlegged? get a bootleg copy of Splash Mountain. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But it, yeah, it's also um, when you when you try to hide stuff, all you're going to do is give people more ammo later for they're like, see, this this is what the government doesn't want you to learn or like all that other BS. Yeah, it doesn't want you to learn it incorrectly. Yes. Doesn't want you to be in a certain state and then being told, oh, yeah, Slavery happened in Africa. Well, nobody's saying it's not. What we're saying is our slavery was significantly different than the African slavery. In fact, if you find the book, there is a book written by a gentleman who was enslaved in Africa and then sold into slavery in America and wrote about the differences of his life experience between those two versions of slavery. Wow. That's neat. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Yeah. I I wish I could remember what podcast I listened to, but there is a book that was written 
by a slave enslaved man who had been enslaved in Africa, sold into America and lived under the American slavery and how terrible oh, that was. That is now giving me something I want to give me something that I don't want to check out, but probably should check out. Yeah, there's a uh, I, I can't I can't find it, but I keep thinking about the fact like even when you're doing certain things, even today, there's still these problems of implicit bias, whether or not even when you're trying to avoid it. Yeah. And I wish I could find it. But I specifically bought this Steven Universe art book because it was their first print edition because it contains in it two very specific character designs that are very, very bad when you really think about it. And one of them was for a character concept for um, basically Earth-made crystal gems, one of which was supposed to be as a char character concept called Concrete. And it was literally just a, you know, gem made of concrete. And there were certain written articles and it looks very much in that form, very stereotypically black, like in design and look. And one of her traits is she can't read. And I'm like, not a good look. I have to get my hands on this book, though. Yeah, uh, basically, it was the second Transformer movie, Rise of the Fallen. I hate her. that movie so much. Oh, yeah, it, it, there's so many bad things with it. Yeah. But they introduced two characters that the ice cream twin, the ice cream truck twins. Yeah, they were terrible like, too. They were meant to be urban. Yeah, like that's what Michael Bay said. Yeah, and at urban. one point they talk about how they can't read. And if you yeah. look at their faces, they are caricatures. Oh, absolutely. What about when did they have the boom box and the cassette tape in those movies? And they were, or I'm misunderstanding that as ice cream, as the ice cream doers. Like there was a boom box and a cassette or something. That was, that was, uh, that was a, that was a, there was a transformer who had that, but not yeah, in the movies. Yeah. That's a sound. Wave. But yeah. I thought in, I thought in the movie, there was a boom box that popped out and was very heavily. Not like that you I said, urban. I don't not, know. I only watched not the, from the Michael movie. Bay one. I don't remember, but I could, I, I could be misremembering, but I don't remember one. Yeah. The only one I know with cassettes were there were two, um original gen one uh transformers one was an autobot and one was a um uh decepticon and the autobot one was like a tape recorder like that's what he kind of looked yeah. like no, yeah. no no never mind they both look like walkman yeah like what well, would be an old tape if i'm yeah. remembering it right but yeah i think they both were basically then yeah but yeah i remember because because i know one in the original transformers one Autobot was a little one that could that became like a cassette tape, and then on the front of and on the front of one of them has essentially a tape deck. Yeah, which is interesting. But 